Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by Heart and Soul Broadcasting Services. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Audrey Simbiso Chidawanyika, a global educator on innovation, strategy, and digital transformation. If you enjoy this conversation, remember to subscribe, to like, and share. Let's get down to some work. Audrey Simbiso Chidawanyika, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Thank you so much, Trevor, for having me. This is a moment of a lifetime. I really follow the conversation and to be here on the other side, uh, it's a testament that dreams actually come true. Thank dreams you. actually come true. They do come true. So yes. tell me, when you were a cashier at INSCO and working at Midbox long ago, did you ever think that uh, this is where your career would be? Um, to think what I'm doing right now would be uh, would be a lie. But I, I did know that I was going to be someone who was impacting the world because I already had a heart for the world even when I was young. Um, so going to work as, as a cashier at INSCO was to sort of like fuel those dreams that I had to become somebody. So I knew that my parents wouldn't afford to take me through university because we, I, I, I was coming from a struggling background. Mm. So I had to work straight after high school so I could raise fees for university and also to buy uh, the gadgets that I would use to be able to advance my education. So I knew that I had to go through that path so that I could support my education. Uh, Meatbox as well, it was in the middle of my, my education, uh, my bachelor's at the University of Zimbabwe, and I had hit um, uh, you know, a hard time in terms of finances. I wasn't able to support my education, so I had to uh, have a gap year so I could go and work, so I could raise my fees. Um, but also because Meatbox was advancing um, something that I was really passionate about, which is entrepreneurship development and changing lives and solving the problems that people had in our communities. Uh, I wanted to be a part of that, be a part of something mm. transformational, but at the same time, raising my fees so I could further my education, mm. which is something that I managed to do. Wow. Mm -hmm. you, you talk about a struggling background. Um, talk to me about that, about that your, your upbringing, um, yes. having to pay for yourself in uh, fees. Talk, let's go there if, you, if we may. All right. So I'll just take you 30 years back. So I was born 30 years ago. Uh, and to my parents, um, I, who I really appreciate because they did all they could with the resources that they had to make sure that we had a life. Uh, it was not easy growing up. Um, you know, I was, uh, I, we started off living in Budiriro. We were renting there and then we had to move to Mabvukutafara when our grandparents passed on and we were, uh, we had to move there to stay at the grandparents' home in Mabvuku. Um, and this was to just kind of like alleviate, uh, the situation from having to, you know, pay rentals and also take 
children to school for mm. my parents. Mm. So we moved to Mabuku Tafara. Um, and it wasn't easy because my parents were not employed at that time. Um, my father was had a shop which he was... Um, doing some hairdressing so he's a barber yeah. and my mother was was not working she dropped out of school mm -hmm. so we were doing a lot of family initiatives to sustain our lives so we had to sell um and i remember in mabuku uh, i know how to sell boiled maize at, uh, at our local um, stores at kamunu shopping center i know how to sell boiled uh, sweet potatoes as well with with some tea to the people that were servicing that area. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot because I knew that it was for a cause and that cause was for us to have food at the table, for us to be able to go to school and also to just have a decent life, uh, which was okay for us. It wasn't anything over the top, but we knew that as children, we had to step in and we also had to step up if we wanted to go to school because we were understanding the situation that our parents were in. Um, and, and it came with a lot of lessons and a lot of pains um, as well. And um, I, I don't really choose to zero in much on the pains that comes with that um, that the pains that come with that experience, but I choose to amplify the lessons that I drew from that. What are those lessons? Yeah. Shall we go then? What are those lessons? Um, so because we were doing a lot of entrepreneurial activities, of course, at subsistence level, because they never really took off. Uh, you know, we would start something and then the money that would come from there would use it to pay fees and we're back on the ground again. We're starting to look for, you know, startup capital as well to, to push. So all the money that we were making was going towards something. So we're mm. constantly on the ground. Mm. Uh, but for me, I when when I was then growing up, I said with so much initiatives that had potential to scale. But because my parents didn't have the knowledge on how to effectively run a business, I also didn't have the knowledge at that time. So that's why we were constantly just, you know, it that stunted growth, just being able to cover Survivor. what we wanted to cover, but it didn't really take off. Mm. So that's why now I'm so passionate about entrepreneurship. That's that's why I'm passionate about innovation. And the work that I do is not for the elite. But for those that are marginalized, who, who I can relate to, who are in the same situation that I grew up in, who also have children with so much potential, just like me, who could be affected if the, their parents are not able to sustain their education. So that's why I'm advancing global education and entrepreneurship in innovation, business development and digital transformation in marginalized communities because I want them to move from survival mm. to significance. I want them to, uh, these people to have to be equipped with the two sets the skill sets and the mindsets to grow their businesses and scale them into uh, profitable enterprises, into meaningful enterprises that are not just um, having an income or having a profit, but actually changing the lives of people. Mm. So that was one lesson that I drew from that and hence why I, I, I started Simbiso Jumpstart Initiative to be able to help small businesses grow in scale. Uh, another lesson that I took from there was just the confidence to be able to sell. Uh, I remember my mom would always encourage us by saying the person that would sell more would have a price. Uh, at the end of the day, it will get a prize 
for selling more. So that could be a bottle of Coca-Cola because mm. in our household, that was Christmas. <laughs> so my mom would say, okay, so when everyone else is, when you're done with dinner and some, are, you know, just drinking water to wash down, you have your bottle of Coca-Cola and you're the best seller of the day. So that experience taught me how to sell, how to be confident in my own skin because mm. we had to go out there. And, and be able to, to sell. You wanted to be the person that's selling more. Um, and I remember uh, there was a time when we, because it was not just the maize cobs or the sweet potatoes, we also had a vegetable store. Um, so we, we had shifts with my siblings. And my strategy was to greet my the customers in English. So the parents would now then say, go and buy from the vegetable store where there's that young girl who speaks in English to us. Um, and I also remember I was also selling mangoes as well, like uh, in, in the in the lanes, like the streets in yeah. Mabuku Tafara. And there was this particular lady who had um, her child who was in school. And she would say, how many mangoes do you have in your basket? And I would say, I probably have 40, 50. And she will say, okay, I'm buying all of them wow. because I just want you to sit down and help my child with their homework. So instead of now, you know, you know, being in the scorching heat and having to, uh, you know, enjoy walking the long distance, selling the mangoes, I knew that I just had to go to her house. She would get all of them. She would pay for them. And I'll just sit there and help your child with her homework. The, yeah. the, 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 the reflecting on what you're saying, th yeah. that sometimes people have a sense that that upbringing can be disabling because it affects your confidence when yes. you then venture into the world. But with you, it appears it had uh, the, the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Um, I could say that even as we're growing up in the household, we, with the siblings as well, we all didn't really turn out to be the same. I, I was that the one person that really broke out. I, I have an older sister, um, and I'm the second. So I also have other siblings coming, How many? you know, I have three of them. Three so of them. we have five. Um, and I had to, my sister, my little sister, she's doing so well because I also had to hold her hand and say, nothing is old. You're not, nobody owes you anything. You have to make your own life, which is what I'm doing. Mm. Uh, but it did really, the upbringing did take a toll on my older sister because she was really affected adversely mm. by the upbringing. And uh, right now we're also trying to just make sure we put her life in, in, in position as mm. well in place. Uh, but for me, it was just that clarity of vision when I was young to say. When, where do you yeah. think that clarity of vision <laughs> came from? Because it, it, clearly your sister is, it, yeah. it took a toll. Where did this clarity of vision come from, as far as you're concerned? Do you yeah. do you remember? Uh, uh, can, can you walk back and, and and share with us where that clarity came from? So I am Simbiso. That's my name. That's your middle name. Yes. Eh? So mm -hmm. that that that's in inner ego. So when I was born, my my parents when I was old enough to understand. My father would always tell me, "We named you Simbiso for a reason. So it means you're the anchor. You are the cornerstone." So at a very young age, I, I was made to know and realize that the burden of moving the family from where it was, was lying on my shoulders. That's why they gave me that name. So understanding the significance of that name was very pivotal in understanding what I needed to do to make sure that I break my family out of that poverty cycle. 
So I started dreaming as a young person, uh, as, a, as a child. I was already dreaming. I remember there was this time when I was watching news with my father. Um, and it was right about the same time, around the same time when there was the Operation Restore Order in Zimbabwe. And I think that was in 2005. So we were following on everything that was happening. Of course, we were also affected by that. So that time, the, the United Nations sent the envoy, uh, I remember Anna yeah. Tibaijuka, to come and just uh, assess the situation in Zimbabwe. And she was giving, um, you know, her assessment of the situation on the ground. So I was, and I, and I, and I was just having goosebumps as she was speaking. And I asked my father and I said, why is she like this? Like, what, what made her to be like this? And then my father was explaining to me that, you know, she's one of the powerful women that have been sent to. And I asked him, can I also be this powerful? And I remember after her speech, then the, the UNSG at that point, Kofi Annan also came to weigh in on the situation. And my father said, you can be like him as well, because he is running the affairs of all the countries in the world. And at that point, I knew that I wanted to be the first female secretary general of the United Nations. And I remember when uh, I was asked at school, what do you want to be? When other students were saying, I want to be a doctor, a teacher, a soldier. I, I was telling my teacher that I wanted to be the first female secretary general of the United Nations. And my teacher at that time took me to the headmaster and said, listen to this child, what they're saying. And my headmaster asked me, uh, who told you that? And I said, my father told mm. me that I can be that. So he has, he has been a great support in my life, um, pushing me to become a better person with nothing. With nothing, he has managed to you know, create and nature someone like me who's hungry um, to create a better world, who's hungry to transform the world. Uh, and that's exactly what I'm doing in the work that I'm doing. And to see that work, not only just transforming Mabvuku Tafara, but going as far as, you know, Asia and all other countries that I've been in doing the exact same thing. It's, it's mm. just amazing. Mm. And, and it comes, it, it just boils down to parents that didn't have anything, but they wanted something out of their children. What are they doing now? What's your mom and dad doing? So my dad is still doing the same thing. He still has his shop, um, still doing hair, um, is a baba. He enjoys it a lot. I feel like it's his happy place. Mm. I feel like he also found his, his why in that. And for him, it's not just being a baba, it's being a baba for a cause. Mm. So he has found his purpose around it. Uh, he understands that it's not just doing hair, but it's giving confidence to people. Uh, and my mother, she's she's back home in Mabvukutafara as well. And she's doing her projects um, just like she was always doing before, but now with great knowledge. So uh, she's, uh, she's doing it on a professional level, like understanding bookkeeping because I have taken her through that. Mm. And yeah. you're still in Mabvuku. No, I have moved, moved. out of Mabvuku. Um, but I have a lot of footprint there. It's mm. a community that I love mm. and I do a lot of projects there because I, I realize that and understand that there is so much more that we can do with our stories mm. um, to to change the world. And I'm, I'm devoted mm. to seeing that community transform. Wonderful. Yeah. Audrey, we're going to take a break here. Please don't go away. Join us on the other side when we 
get to uh, tour the continent. You've been all over the world uh, and all over Africa with your your work, um, teaching people on on digital transformation, mm -hmm. innovation, um, and uh, artificial intelligence, I hope, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So please yeah. join us on the other side. I look at it as reimagining the future mm. and then trying to find out how we can create it today. Greetings. My name is Trevor Nube host of In Conversation with Trevor, Zimbabwe's most engaging conversational show. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. We've brought before your screens change makers from arts, business, and politics, and from the region. Please join our growing community of viewers. Subscribe, like, and share. Welcome back to our conversation with Audrey Chidawanyika, a global educator on innovation, strategy, and digital transformation. I am touched, Audrey, about mm -hmm. the role that your parents have played uh, in making you who you, 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 you've become, particularly your father. He must be proud of you. What does he think about you sharing this story? All right. Oh, of course, he's a proud father. He's very, very proud because to see a girl child coming from that particular situation that I was talking about, growing up in a high density suburb where there is a lot of, you know, ills in, in the society that affect the girl child from, you know, becoming. Um, he is very proud. But at the same time, he feels a little bit nervous and uh, maybe for a lack of a better word, inadequate. Um, you know, when I share the story of the upbringing, uh, because he probably feels he could have done more as a father for us. Uh, but I, I really appreciate the role that he played because it also helped me in becoming the person that I've become today. Um, he, he was, he gave what he could give. Of course, it was not the whole world as we would have wanted it. But I don't think I would have wanted it any other way. Because, and this is your story. Yes, this is my story. And I wouldn't have wanted it any other way but the way it is. Because if it is to be altered or changed, then probably I wouldn't be here today. It would be a different story. So the lack of that silver spoon propelled me to be this person who is really aggressive and hungry for success. Mm. Yeah. Your story, uh, Audrey, has reminded me of, uh, I grew up in Maguegue, in <laughs> the townships, the township. And I, I, I remember how I used to look at my friends who were doing better than we were doing, yes. whose fathers had cars. And I would always ask, why doesn't my father have a car? And I, I held that against him for, for quite some time. Why doesn't he have a car? Um, I remember in particular one Christmas where they couldn't afford to buy us uh, shoes and, and clothes for Christmas. And I was angry with them. You know, why, why are we living like this? So that's yeah. a very different story from your yeah. experience. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and he, he did what, what he could, like I said. Yeah. He didn't have the financial resources to, to be able to give us everything that we wanted. But my confidence right now and who I've become is as a result of him. Mm -hmm. You know, he always used to tell me about where we come from. Like, um, I am uh, Mukunda Chidawanyika Shumba Mutasa 
from the Eastern Highlands in, in Manikaland. And he always used to tell us that, you know, that we come from the Mtasa kingdom and we are under Ishechidawanyika. So we also come from, from, from royal blood. So he used to like really iterate on that to say, you are royal. You, you have got royalty in you in as much as we are living wow. like this, but you, you are royal. So that also gave me that confidence because that identity of where I was coming from then became the bedrock. I, I, I then ceased to look at what was in front of me, but I went back to the core to say, where do I come from? Mm. What, what is it like being there? And how do I, how do I get back there and bring as much power and then transfer it to the world? And I managed to do that. Wow. I really managed to. What a story. You, with that background, yeah. Audrey, you have gone um, and traveled the world. You are mm. a management consultant and strategist in something that I don't know. It's called Agile Scrum, mm -hmm. uh, Lean X Sigma, Enterprise and Human-Centered Design Thinking. That's big stuff from a girl from Mabuku <laughs> Tafara. Talk to me about the assignments mm -hmm. that have gotten you where you are right now and the places that you've been through on the continent that have left a mark on you. All right. Uh, I think I wouldn't have done justice if I also don't mention uh, what I was, the, the work that I was doing and the communities that I was a part of when I was at the University of Zimbabwe, because that's where the story really got to be amplified. So when I... Um, so let me let me just piggyback a little bit. So from Mabvuko, uh, grade seven, I did well. I was um, number one in EP with Mabvuko Tafara in the Zimsek um, exams. Um, and then my parents, with nothing, managed to send me to school. And I was at St. David's Girls Eye Bonda. So I'm a, I'm a Bonda girl. So I did my six years at Bonda and I was involved in a lot of um, activities there, apart from just the academic. I'm told there's something... Special about the Bonda girls. Of course. <laughs> that. Yes, that. You can always see it in everything that we do. Because we are brought up to, to understand excellence. We are brought up to understand that we are not competing, but we have to be the very best at what we do. So we are not competing with other girls' eye schools. We are not competing with other girls. We have to be a cut above the rest. That's how we were raised and, and brought up at Bonda. It's the spirit of excellence and just being different. What's, what's the differentiator? And also, if you're looking at, you know, the parity with the other girls when you're neck to neck, what sets you apart? What is, what is that that gives you that incompetence and the difference? All that we are brought up to understand that at a very, very young age. So you will see it in all the, the girls that have gone through that school. So from, from Bonda, where did you go to? So I then went to the University of Zimbabwe uh, and I, I enrolled for a bachelor's degree in tourism and hospitality management. Why, why that degree? Uh, because that's what I could get with the points that I had. They were not, if they were not few, they were okay, but that's what yeah. I could get. Um, I had gotten, um, I, I'd gotten a placement at, an, at another university to study something that I would have wanted to study. But my parents uh, then said, you know, we, we wouldn't want you to go far away mm. uh, from home because I had gotten, I would have been in Bulawayo. So they said, no, we, we want you here at home. So they were also trying to be very protective of mm. me. So that's why I then had to go to the University of Zimbabwe. Okay. And also because you know, at that time the, the University of Zimbabwe was the University of Zimbabwe. We all wanted to be there. 
Um, so I then went to use it. I was involved in a lot of activities there. I was part of a community called Enactus. So Enactus was, um, was an organization or is an organization because it's still there that advances student ent um, entrepreneurship. So we're involved in a lot of entrepreneurial activities um, in, in communities to solve the challenges that people are facing in communities. So I was really devoted to, to that cause because it gave, gave me a sense of purpose. I loved going into the communities to help and I would try by all means to pull the students from, from, from the organization to come to my home community. So we did a lot of projects at Mabuku Tafara as, as well. what kind of projects? So we had this pro project that we called Rehabpreneurship. It was, so we called it Rehabilitation Through Entrepreneurship. And it was working with young people from Mabuku who were affected by the issue of drugs and substance abuse. Um, so we were trying to look at what are the causes that are making them fall into that, uh, you know, that, uh, pandemic of, mm. of drugs. Um, and then we looked at uh, activities because we saw they were idle, unemployed. So we're trying to come up with, with uh, ways to help them to, to get out of that. So we had uh, a project that uh, were, it, that was in 2014. So they were making detergents. Um, and at some point, they even started supplying the detergents to the University of Zimbabwe as mm. well. Mm. Um, so we had that project that we're doing as, as students. Um, and for those tries, and that's also when I went to Meatbox as well, um, I, I was uh, then named the Vice Chancellor's Ambassador in 2016 uh, for the work that I was doing, the excellence in community mm. service, leadership, um, effective communication and entrepreneurship. I was then named um, as that. Um, then from the University of Zimbabwe, I graduated. I graduated a year later because I also had to raise my fees. Then I, um, I then. How did you raise your fees? So Meatbox, I was okay. working at Meatbox. Mis I was, I was being paid at at Meatbox. So I managed to to raise my fees because I worked there for a year and I managed to raise enough fees to be able to pay off, uh, my wow. my my tuition. And also when I won the vice chancellor's ambassador, there was like a prize money to that. So instead of taking that money to go and spoil myself or a job well done, I remember I was telling someone from student affairs to say, can you transfer that money into my fees account um, so that I can pay off the debt that I have with the school? And, and they did that. Um, and, and I'm so proud of myself because I, I did it. Um, and then when I graduated, because of all the work that I was doing in 2018, I then applied for the Mandela Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders. And I shared my story as, as, as it was. And I also shared with them what I felt the impact of the fellowship could be on me and the rest of the world. So I then got selected. And then in 2019, I went to the United States on the fellowship. And that's where I had to learn all these things that I've become an expert um, um, an expert on, um, and then now I'm not just keeping the knowledge to myself. I am now moving that knowledge around the world and helping to shape the future. Um, so I look at it as reimagining the future mm -hmm. and then trying to find out how we can create it today. So that's pretty much what I do with my work. So talk yeah. to me about Inectus mm -hmm. at the University of Zimbabwe. You are, I think, the third person that I've seen Talk about Inectus. Um, yes. What does this organization do? Uh, it's it's a it's a transformational uh, organization that builds on the next generation leaders. 
um, it, it sets you apart. So it's a, it's a global initiative. It has over 37 countries that are affiliated to it. And all the universities in Zimbabwe are also affiliated to Enactus Zimbabwe and Enactus Worldwide. So we have a year to do entrepreneurial projects in communities. So we go in different communities together with the communities. We brainstorm through our needs assessment strategies to find out on the problems that they are facing within that community. Mm. Together with the community, we co-create and co-design solutions to solve those challenges. And when we do that, uh, after a year, we all come together for the Enactus Zimbabwe National Competitions. So all these students from different uh, universities are coming together to showcase their entrepreneurial, life-changing projects that have been, they've been working on um, throughout the whole year. And we are competing to become the national champion so we can go and represent Zimbabwe at the World Cup. And the atmosphere at the World Cup is electric. I've, I've been to the World Cup in, in 2015. Uh, Where was it? It was in South Africa. Mm. Uh, so Yuzet was the national champion and I was the vice president at that time. So I led the team to the, to the World Cup and it was a life-changing moment. We met the who's who's. Uh, and I remember that time, uh, uh, you know, there were, you know, executives, directors, captains of industry that were coming from different organizations, even your Fortune 500 companies were there as well. And it's, it's a platform where they are not so uptight, like they would be in their offices. They're also very much feeling as young because it's a very young driven uh, atmosphere. So they're also, it's, it's, yes, there's a, there's a lot of vibes. So you can eat with them. Uh, you can, you can have a conversation with them. You can sit with them. Uh, and that's where they are actually scouting for um, students that they can employ. They are scouting for students that they can collaborate with. So it's really, really life changing. Mm. Um, do you still yeah. have ambitions to be UN Secretary General? Of course I do. And I feel like that's the reason why I do the work that I do. It's also to really build on that portfolio um, and and just be adequate and just be relevant in that space to be able to to drive such a, a big office as that so that's why I've, I've i've you know taken this route of advancing my career mm -hmm. in global education and I'm, I'm i'm doing just fine in that wow awesome yes. well people at home i might be talking to the next uh, secretary general <laughs> of the united nations don't go away when we come back we're going to be going there in terms of what would she want to do but also the work that she's done on the continent, like I have indicated. So don't go away. See you on the other side. How do we design them to solve the real problems that people have? Welcome back to our conversation with Audrey Chidawanyika. Um, Audrey, before 
we took the break. Yes. You 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 were going on a bit about wanting to be the Secretary General of the UN. Why? Why do you want to be Secretary General of the UN? Um, the world is in so much pain. We have a lot of problems that we are going through uh, in the world. Um, at public service level, so you can talk about your injustice, your social injustice, uh, political injustice, even you've got a lot of, we can talk about climate action. Um, the world is in pain. There are a lot of pain points that the world is going through and it requires people who are really intentional about solving those problems. People who look at the work that they're doing as a ministry versus it just being something they're doing just for a title or just to profiteer from it. So intentionality is very, very important, which is one thing that we find lacking in most of the leaders of today because it's about driving their selfish interests instead of looking at what will regenerate the world. And for me, my, my simple drive as to why is that aspect of regeneration. Mm. We have a lot of buzz, um, uh, you know, buzz uh, towards sustainability. Sustainability is how do we keep going, right? Regeneration is how do we maintain uh, the original form but benefit from it. So we have so much uh, energy going on around sustainability, but sustainability is not enough. We need to be able to to regenerate. We need to understand how can we maintain things as they are. So to have leaders who are driven by regeneration is something that we're lacking in this world. So that's what I want to drive. I want to drive regeneration because we have a mandate to safeguard our world, to create a better world for the next generations. And that is why even in my work, I'm passionate about working with children and young people. So working with children and young people, cultivating that mindset of regeneration to say we do not have to exploit. We have to uh, utilize, but also maintain the, the regeneration, maintain the planet for what it is. So that's what I want to drive. That's the education that I'm driving, even with human-centered design thinking, to say it's not just it being centered on humans, but it's centered on life itself. It's centered on regeneration. How do we imagine tomorrow and create it today? How do we maintain our world uh, as is in terms of political regeneration, social regeneration, envir environmental regeneration, if we want to safeguard it for the world? So we don't even need to have all these um, climate change summits because it shows that there was a disconnection with the leadership we have. If we're already talking about effects, it means there was it, it, the ball was dropped at some point. We were supposed to focus on how do we regenerate. We were focusing on how do we keep going. So now we have all these summits, we have all these conferences around the world where we are talking about how do we how do we become reactive to the things that we have caused. So it needs leaders who are strongly premised on regeneration, who take strict measures and policies to say, we want to maintain the world as is, but be able to benefit from it. So it's looking at the policies, it's looking at everything that we are doing and say, it's, it goes beyond sustainability. It, it comes down to regeneration. Mm. How do we regenerate? Mm. Shall we go to... Um your your daily work, the the work that you do on a daily basis yes. around human centered design thinking, mm -hmm. um, innovation. Can you take us to 
specific projects that you worked on in the space, the impact of, uh, of and the impact of those projects? All right. So my, my journey with human-centered design thinking started in 2019. We just gotten back from the Mandela Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders. And that's where I learned about design thinking. And I, it, it just dawned on me as a regenerative leader that this is a tool we need to influence how organizations are operating. Um, so I remember my first assignment was with, uh, with UNICEF Generation Unlimited. Um, and uh, it was in uh, October, and it was just two months after returning from the fellowship. And I, I was already intentional. Two months of learning something, I was already disrupting. So we, I, was, I was the lead facilitator on design thinking uh, for the nutrition hackathon mm -hmm. under UNICEF. Uh, I wasn't even as, as sure about what I was doing, but I did it afraid. I did it anyway. You did it afraid. Yes. I'm going to ask you to step a little bit back and yes. help us break down what human design thinking is is about i mean i i don't get it help us help me get it what what is human design thinking all about okay um i i was i was already like touching on it and everything that i was saying <laughs> as well with my manifesto right. for for unsg um but simply design thinking is about looking at whatever that we're doing in terms of the work that we're doing the projects that we are running the initiatives that we are championing to say how do we design them to solve the real problems that people have versus just thinking we can solve a problem are we do we really understand a problem so it's a framework that helps us to understand the problem so we can solve it from understanding it versus knowing it. Hmm. So most of the businesses that we have and most of the initiatives that we have are solving challenges from their knowledge, their perspective of the problem without really understanding it from the people who are experiencing it. So design thinking is premised on empathy. So empathy is the foundation of design thinking, seeking to understand the problem before you actually solve it. And even when you understand the problem, there is no one solution to a problem. You have to come up with a wide range of potential solutions before you can choose one. So it's a framework that walks you through the whole process on how you can do that. How do you ideate for problem solving? How do you prototype the solutions that you have so that at the end of the day, your solution is what is required or is the perfect fit for a problem that people are experiencing. Mm, mm. Because for every solution, there's a solution that is right and a solution that is wrong. Mm. So the question is, is your solution right? Is it wrong? So if you want to come up with the right solution to the problems or the pain points that people are facing, then you have to really immerse yourself in, in, in the lives of those that are experiencing okay. that problem. So now I'll get you. I'll get yeah. you. So let's go to the UNICEF uh, yes. a project and other projects that you mm -hmm. worked on. So with UNICEF, uh, they've got what they call the Generation Unlimited program. It's about uh, nurturing the next generation leaders who are at the center of driving value and development. So your next generation businesses, your next generation social enterprises. So they are looking at children who are between the who are below the ages uh, the age of twenty four. So those are the 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 young leaders that I started working with, and it was to shape their initiatives for them to have a different mindset to problem solving, mm. that they it's not their role or their position to prescribe solutions to communities, but what their role is just to catalyze 
the solving of problems. Because people who are closer to the problem hold the key to the answer. It's just that they don't have the capacity to solve their problems. So we shouldn't take advantage of people because they don't have capacity. But we need to understand how they want their problems to be solved first. And if we have other solutions that we might want to bring, we then suggest. So we don't prescribe mm. solutions to them. So that's the, and, and, and many other, you know, tools that also help uh, part of the framework um, to understand problems. How do you identify problems? How do you understand them? How do you solve them in a relevant way? How do you yeah. bring in your being a disruptor? Mm -hmm. If you are talking about immersing yourself, getting to know what the problem is. And how do we talk about innovation in that, mm -hmm. in that space? Can you help me understand that? All right. So disruption, innovation, they're all driven by people. It's human-centered because what, what's the relevance of a disruptive innovation if mm -hmm. it's not solving a problem? You could have a, uh, you know, a, 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 an innovation that everyone can talk about, but you can go into a community and it, it doesn't work. Now, I can give you an example sure. just to, to break it down, to make it very relatable and understandable. Um, so there was an organization that got a grant to work on a sanitation project. Um, and then they went into a community and then they when when they got the funding from the donor who was outside of the country, they said we are making um, ablution facilities for the people in that community because they didn't have. They were using the bush system and they were having a lot of cholera, cholera outbreaks, mm. health scares that were mm. happening there. So on paper, their innovation idea was bankable. It was sellable. It was relevant. It was solving a problem. So the donor gave them money, which was like half a million dollars. And then they went to implement the project in that particular community. After six months, the donor came back and said, we want to go and do our monitoring uh, and evaluation in that community and also mm. draw some lessons and success stories from that particular project. They went to, to that community. When they got there, they discovered that the people in the community were not using the ablution facilities as intended. They had turned them into silos. So they were now storing their grains in, in, in those ablution facilities. So the donor was like, was, was asking them, I didn't know you were building silos. I thought you, you said you were building toilets for these people. So now they said, but we thought they wanted toilets. So now they now wanted to understand why they were not using these bathrooms. That's when they, the, the community then told them that culturally in our, in our community, how it's, it's set up, we cannot have one ablution facility at home because the same toilet that the mother-in-law is using, the son-in-law cannot use. The same toilet that the father-in-law is using, the, the, the sister-in-law cannot use. So we cannot use because of cultural ramifications. But because we thought the solution was relevant, and we didn't immerse ourselves to understand the cultural ramifications, how the community is set up. We came up with a solution that was wrong. It was wow. a solution that looked good on yeah. paper. It was an innovative idea because if they, they even modernized the ablution facilities. So they were like your flash blade toilets. So they were but, really but world Isn't that the yeah. tendency that we have with uh, some of these uh, NGOs? Uh, particularly the foreign-based NGOs, yes. that they, they are parachuted to come and prescribe and mm -hmm. to tell the people how they should resolve the problems that they, they, they face. Uh, how um, prevalent is yes. this 
human-centered approach within the NGO environment. So I'm happy to say that there's been a mindset shift. If you look at the people that make up my customer base in terms of this, uh, the consultants in, in human-centered design thinking, it's the non-governmental organizations in Zimbabwe and across Africa and also in the world. They're inviting me to come and champion trainings that will have a different mindset. So they have been seeing where they were lacking because there was also no ownership of their projects in the communities. Mm. People would point at a project and say, it's such and such an NGO's project. But back to the donors, they're saying it's the community project. So there's a disconnect. The community is saying it's the NGO's project, mm. but the project, the NGO is saying it's the community's mm. project. So that's why human-centered design thinking exists. It's, mm. the, it's the bridge that gapes that, 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 that bridges that gape, you know, to say how does... How, do, how does the community also have ownership of the projects and how do we co-design and co-create um, the, solution. the solutions mm. together with the NGOs and, and, and the communities? The community. yeah. um, what, what, what's your client base? You talk mm -hmm. about um, having a client base. Who, who do you work with um, across yes. the continent in Zimbabwe? So I work with non-governmental organizations mm -hmm. mostly. Mm -hmm. um, I also work with accelerators, so your incubators, accelerators, your innovation hubs, your entrepreneurial hubs. Um, I'm also working with schools now. So most schools are now excited, especially private schools, to have their students understand the concept of design thinking mm -hmm. and why it is important for them to master at such a young age as they go into the world. So it's it's... It's just them having that empathy for the world to seek to understand before they come up with a solution. Mm. So they want their students to have that culture, it engraved in their DNA yeah. to understand. So they make up uh, a greater part of my, my clientele. Of course, I do have corporates as well. But you know, with corporates, um, corporates sometimes they're just looking at profit. Whatever is working for them is what they stick with. So that's why we have a lot of corporates that have got the traditional way of working. They haven't even fully embraced the future of work because they are looking at if it's profitable, then why mm. should we disrupt it? Mm. But mm. NGOs are going beyond that. They want to have more impact. So they would really want me to come and help them create more impact. Mm. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm trying to look at uh, any specific projects that you've worked on, particularly Sibiso Jumpstart, mm -hmm. where you've actually cause the jumpstart in the operation of uh, organizations or uh, communities? All right. So I've spoken about the Generation Unlimited. Uh, they have interacted with over, I would say, 250 young people who have mm. got startup initiatives since 2019. And I think 250 is actually an understatement mm. because every year we'd have like 60 of them. So it's actually over 215 Generation Unlimited since 2019. Mm. Uh, I've also worked with the Plan International Youth Innovation Challenge as well. Um, it was, that was after I had gone into the organization as a management consultant. And I worked with them for over six months mm. with the team at, at, at Plan International going around the country in their different pro program areas and cultivating that uh, culture and climate for innovation and design thinking. Um, I've also worked with Accountability Lab in Zimbabwe and a lot of other organizations in Zimbabwe. 
then across uh, the borders, um, I've worked in South Africa, uh, Kukaya Foundation Youth Development Initiative. It was also working with children, um, and we we did some work for children who were between 13 to 19 across the Sadak region. Um, I've done work for She Found in Tanzania. I've done work for Mkazipreneur in Uganda. Um, I've done quite a number of, of projects that I can youth up global uh, as well, which is a global initiative, but based in Nigeria. I've done a lot of uh, work for them as well since 20, 2021. Um, and just recently, I was in India as well mm. uh, on the invitation of uh, one of the biggest schools in India. And I was working with the students from um, teenagers from 13 up until the tertiary students as well. So I would visit the different schools and do innovation boot camps on, on design thinking with them. I've done work in, in Japan as well, Tokyo Gakuge University. Um, and I'm also doing work with the, in, in Diara Congo, um, have an upcoming trip to, to the DRC, predominantly French speaking. Um, and they actually have to have a translator to translate what I'm saying. But it just goes to show the amount of value that they're seeing in the work that I'm doing to want me to come and interact with their young leaders. Mm. When you yeah. look at uh, your education, how well did your education prepare you for what mm. you're doing now? Um, so to be honest, uh, not, not to say anything bad about our education system here in Zimbabwe, I feel like what I've then become mostly was propelled by my experiences outside of Zimbabwe. The global exposure really managed to build on that, uh, the, 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 the work that I'm doing now. Of course, with the Nectus, because it also internationally exposed us. But if I'm to look at the degree that I was studying here in Zimbabwe, it didn't really do much in preparing me for what I've become. Uh, but the, then what I then learned outside of the country has mm -hmm. helped me. And even after my bachelor's, I've gone further to, to also learn. I have certifications. You've, yeah. you've uh, done um, <laughs> the Quantic School of Business and yes. Technology. You've got an MBA. Yes, I've got an MBA. You've got... Um, a Clark Atlanta University, you could graduate uh, uh, qualification from there. The yes. Hudson Strategic Group. Yes. Um, so quite a lot of work education after your university. After my university. Degree. What is your traveling around the world and mm -hmm. what you're doing, immersing in what you're doing? Mm -hmm. What has it taught about you about yourself? It has made me realize that I'm a global talent which is the motivation and the inspiration that I needed to realize the dreams that I have, which I feel are very big and audacious. So having to um, go into different cultures and navigating, it's, it's not easy. You know, I was talking about India, it's predominantly Hindi people. They've got their way of doing things. And I had to adapt as, as fast as I could in order to exist in that space, which was not my comfort zone. So that cultural adaptability it comes with that international exposure. Um, and then you look at the confidence in, in your identity, understanding that you're African and people want you as as African in authentically authentic, authentically African. That's what they want you to be. Um, so it, it it pushes you to be that, to not want to be anybody else, mm -hmm. but to be originally you because the world wants to hear your story mm -hmm. for what it is and 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 who who you are.
Where, so, where do you feel inadequate? Are there spaces where you feel inadequate? Do I feel inadequate? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I do sometimes feel inadequate because there's always that imposter syndrome that always shadows me to say, um, sometimes when I get the, the recognition, um, awards, platforms, I'm always asking myself, am I really deserving mm. of, of that as well? So I always feel kind of inadequate. But mm. when I then look back at my journey, where I came from, and I say, but I am enough. I am adequate. I have a story that the world uh, can draw inspiration from when, when they hear it. So mm. that then goes away fast. And um, before we, we, we go to books, um, I, I know you brought us uh, all these beautiful books here. We, we, our viewers love books. Yes. We're going to talk books uh, soon. So your big thing is UN Secretary General. Yes. What other big thing are you aiming for? To be a great mom, I want to raise leaders just as, as much as I'm doing uh, with, with other um, young people out there. So I also want my children, which I will have soon, to also be great people, to also understand the, the impact they, they will be made to make in this mm -hmm. world. So mm -hmm. I want to be a great parent, um, and I'm preparing myself for that mm. very well. Because societies yeah. are built a family yeah. at a time, yes. isn't it? Yes. Fantastic. So let's turn to books. Um, you brought us uh, four books. Mm -hmm. Do you want to quickly walk us through why you brought us these books? There's four books. All right. So I've got two of each, uh, which are which are representing two t two different categories of mm. my life. Mm. So I've got um, um, professional development, and then I've got personal development. Sure. So I've got. Uh, I'll start with uh, personal development. So mm. I've got uh, the secret. So it has got daily teachings that are more like affirmations. You know, the spiritual law of attraction, you attract what's coming to you. Uh, and, I, and I subscribe to that, to that law is, is the greatest law in, in my life to say whatever that happens to me, I'm attracting. Mm -hmm. The energy that I'm getting is the energy that I'm giving. So what it you helps give me. to the world, the world gives back it to gives you. It gives back. Mm -hmm. So it helps me uh, to, to look at that. So as looking at today's teaching for day 246 and it was telling me that I have to remember to remember. I have to remember why I'm here. If you are remembering to remember, it means you're remembering to be aware of why you are here. Why am I here? Why is it, it important? I and it. I have to always be conscious of my environment. How long have you been doing that? So this is 200 day 246. So since we started mm. the year. I've been religiously working on, on teachings from this. So it's more like it, like the daily inspiration, the daily teachings. Before I step out of the house to go and do the work that I do, it's the inspiration I that it. I walk with. I yeah. mm -hmm. then and then I've book. got um, uh, the, the Purpose Driven Life by Rick, Wal Rick Warren. Mm -hmm. Why, what on earth am I here for? So it's just um, 
reminding me of my purpose. I feel there is a fire uh, inside my blood that is burning for purpose. And that's why I always want to remind myself of that purpose. And this book has been guiding me in a spiritual way. How do I discover that purpose and how do I pursue it? And the teachings have really been really pivotal in driving that. It's a great book. I have read this book uh, twice at least. Yeah. Um, And... um, like you, I'll read it on a, on a daily basis. Yes. Um, so well done. Great book. Do you find that your generation, 30-year-old like you, do this kind of stuff? Uh, so I actually do have a library at home where I've got a collect- collection of books. And I always invite my friends to come borrow some books and read. But I have, I've not seen them come. So I, I also don't want to generalize. Exactly my point. But anyway, let's go on to, I, I love the fact that you yeah. read, that you are disciplined on a daily basis. Uh, remember to remember, why am I here? What am I doing? That's fantastic stuff. Well yeah. done for that. Yeah. Thank what you is, so what's the much. Next book? Uh, so the, the next one is, of course, Seven Habits mm. of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Uh, it's just helping me to understand those ha- the seven habits, why I need to be proactive, why I need to put first things first, why do I need to start to begin with the end in mind, uh, how do I navigate dependence to independence to interdependence, you know, the public victory, the private victory, all that. It helps me as a, as a young professional to understand that as I is uh, the work that I'm doing is a ministry and how do I navigate that that ministry so that's why it, and it's also a daily guide for me I'm not reading it once off it's something that I, I draw lessons on a daily basis from it as well excellent and um I've, I've also one. this one I've also added it to my uh collection for professional development. It's a gift I got from the chairman of ODM Educational Group from uh, India, Dr. Minaketan. And it says you can be a great teacher. So as a global educator, I have to understand what it means like to be a teacher because I'm teaching people. Teaching is not just a profession. It's a ministry. It's a calling. You're changing people's lives. So I have to understand the the impact a teacher has on people's lives as I prepare to strengthen my career in global education. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. Just listening to you, I mean, my heart is skipping with excitement. I mean, I, um, I, wish, they, I wish we had more young people like you focused in their own personal growth because you can't face the world when you're broken and hope yeah. that you'll be able to change the world. So I'm really excited about what you're doing. I'm inspired and I'm hoping that a lot of people out there are going to be inspired. And, and we wish you the very best in Thank your you. in your ambition to be United uh, Nations Secretary General. Thank you for the books that you've shared. Absolutely love them. Um, a friend of mine, um, the right Reverend Dr. Julius Marconi has just written a book. Um, I got it last week. I'll be starting to read it in preparation for a conversation that I will have with him. It's called Bon Vivant, Banker Bishop, uh, A Life in My Day. So I'm looking forward to reading this. Uh, Julius Marconi is the co-founder of NMB Bank, one of the very innovative bankers that the country had uh, some time back. So I'm looking forward to reading that book it's on amazon you can find it on amazon for your reading pleasure audrey thank Thank you you. so much for coming onto the show thank you for sharing uh as you did very authentically um i have no doubt that your story is going to inspire 
quite a lot of people. And I get the sense that um, uh, I've just been blessed to talk to uh, a young <laughs> woman who's going to be a shaker and mover in the future. So we wish you all Thank the very you. best. Hey? Thank you so much for having me. This is really appreciated. Thank Good. you for the great work that you're doing and all the best to you as well. Great stuff. Yeah. Allow me to turn to our viewers, uh, Audrey, who are all over the world. Thank you for uh, following us on a weekly basis. Remember, we are out on Mondays, uh, 7 a.m. Central African time. And to ensure that you don't miss out on any of these quality conversations, please subscribe, like, and share. We read all your comments below the videos. And we've gone a step further and built a website to where we've placed our podcasts for your listening pleasure. So go to our website and click onto our podcast for your listening pleasure. Until next time, cheers to you all. Thank you.